Um, good morning. So um, our reading this morning is from 2 Corinthians chapter 10, uh, which is on page 1165 in the Church Bibles. There are then two other bits of the reading which follow on from that um, in chapter 11. I'll just give you a few seconds to find that. So the first section is chapter 10, verses 1 to 5. By the humility and gentleness of Christ, I appeal to you. I, Paul, who am timid when face to face with you, but bold uh, towards you when away, I beg you that when I come, I may not have to be as bold as I expect to be towards some people who think that we live by the standards of the world. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And then the next section is chapter 11, verses 1 to 15. I hope you'll put up with me in a little foolishness. Yes, please put up with me. I am jealous for you with a godly, godly jealousy. I promised you to be one husband to Christ, so that I might present you as a pure virgin to him. But I am afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the snake's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes to you and preaches a Jesus other than the Jesus we preached, or if you receive a different spirit from the spirit you received, or a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it easily enough. I do not think I am in the least inferior to those super apostles. I may indeed be untrained as a speaker, but I do have knowledge. We have made this perfectly clear to you in every way. Was it a sin for me to lower myself in order to elevate you by preaching the gospel of God to you, free of charge? I robbed other churches by receiving support from them so as to serve you. And when I was with you and needed something, I was not a burden to anyone, for the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied what I needed. I have kept myself from being a burden to you in any way and will continue to do so. As surely as the truth of Christ is in me, nobody in the regions of Asia will stop this boasting of mine. Why? Because I do not love you? God knows I do, and I will keep on doing what I'm doing in order to cut the ground from under those who want an opportunity to be considered equal with us in the things they boast about. For such people are false apostles, deceitful workers, masquerading as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. It is not surprising, then, if his servants also masquerade as servants of righteousness, their end will be what their actions deserve. And then the final little bit is chapter 11, verse 29 and 30. Who is weak, and I do not feel weak? Who is led into sin, and I do not inwardly burn? If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. Thank you, Karen. <clears throat> well, We've been uh, in the letter of 2 Corinthians uh, for about 10 weeks, and we're coming to the end now, which is why we've needed to put two chapters together this week and two chapters together next week. Um, so above bar, we tend to go through 
books of the Bible. We believe that God actually speaks through the Bible, and um, therefore he has a message to, to speak this morning. Um, so if you keep your, your Bibles open, um, we're going to stick uh, into chapter 10 and 11, um, but we won't be able to cover every verse because um, they're two quite long chapters, which is why we didn't read the, the whole passage. Um, now then, do you folks know what irony is? Irony. Uh, in irony, there's an implied difference between what is said and what is meant. So a married couple will be having a bit of a tiff, and he will say to her, so I'm the unsensitive one and the uncaring one in this relationship, aren't I? Irony. And to understand these two chapters, you need to understand that Paul is using a lot of irony. Why is he doing that? Well, he's being attacked. The church in Corinth has been taken over by these so-called super-apostles. That's a very ironic term. They were a group of teachers who had a really polished style. They used great Greek rhetoric. They were smooth. And Paul was so sad that this church in Corinth that he had planted in AD 50 through blood and sweat and tears had been taken in by these good-looking super apostles who never sweated and all who had perfect teeth like Americans. It's not bad to have perfect teeth, but I'm just going to use that as a, a euphemism. Paul is annoyed that these super apostles were, were boastful about their great rhetoric, and the Corinthians were, were taken in, and they were boasting as well about being associated with these people, and not with Paul, who kept getting beaten up, who seemed to be full of shame because of all the suffering that he was going through. And he's annoyed that these super apostles were undercutting his message of free grace, as we'll see. So in these two chapters, Paul is like a soldier. He's employing spiritual weapons. He's engaging with unfriendly fire. And he's embracing weakness. So first of all, I'd, I'd like to look at chapter 10, verses 1 to 5, and see how Paul is employing spiritual weapons. So he starts off by the humility and gentleness of Jesus. Those are his first two weapons. You see, even that is ironic, because Paul's going to speak of weapons in the next few verses, um, and these are not the kind of weapons you would think of, are they? Humility and gentleness. Unlike the super apostles, Paul was not a leader who threw his weight around. Uh, you know, his name, Paul, means small. And Paul would rather boast about his weakness and exalt Christ's strength. But he's reciting their accusation against him. I, Paul, who am timid when face to face, but bold when I'm writing letters, I beg you that I won't have to be as bold as I expect to be. Now, Paul's weapons are not the Alex Ferguson uh, hairdryer treatment uh, or even Antonio Conte. Did you see what, what he said after he drew against Southampton last week? He's about to get sacked. 
but he, he, he had a crazy outburst at his players. But Paul's weapons are humility and gentleness, even if he does use quite a bit of irony. He is copying his master, Jesus, who did not raise his voice, but who always demonstrated kindness and gentleness in his dealings with everybody. But don't confuse humility and gentleness with weakness. Paul says he is in a war. He's waging war, but not as the world wages war. Now, to understand as Christians and as new Christians that we are in a battle is really a foundational lesson for a Christian. People have erected strongholds against the gospel. When people say, well, all religions are the same, Christianity isn't particularly important, all religions lead to God, that's a stronghold. When, when people say, well, I've lived a pretty good life, if, if there is a heaven, I, I think I'll go there, they've erected a stronghold. When people say, you know, I just can't believe in a God of love because look at all the suffering in the world. You can understand why people say that, but they have erected a stronghold, hardening their heart. And you can't topple a stronghold simply with rhetoric and slick programs and American teeth. What was Paul's weapon of maximum impact? Well, it was his gospel, the preaching of the Lord Jesus Christ, backed by fervent prayer. What is the gospel? Gospel means good news. Uh, last week, if you were here, a really good summary of the gospel is in chapter 8, verse 9. This is a good verse to, to memorize and to think about. It goes like this. For you know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. See how he starts there? You know the grace. The gospel for Paul is a gospel of grace. And therefore, boasting is excluded because grace means you receive what you don't deserve. Grace comes to someone who realizes, I am a sinner, I need Jesus, I can't get salvation through my own efforts, I need to cry out to God, I need to cry out to Jesus who's died and risen again for me. And Paul's weapon of maximum impact was this gospel, the gospel of grace, always backed by fervent prayer. We don't necessarily see that prayer in this passage, but all Paul's letters are topped and tailed with prayer and saturated with prayer. And folks, my, my vision for prayer at Above Bar Church is this, that, that every person that comes here is praying at least once a week with a small group. That could be your home group, that could be a, a, a group of friends, a triplet, but, but every week you are praying. To the extent you do that, to that extent you'll progress in the Christian life, and to the extent you don't do it, uh, you won't progress. But every now and again, we want to gather these smaller groups, and we need to pray together, I think, more as a church. Maybe, maybe more seldom, but more special. Maybe twice a year, three times a year. We haven't really got the rhythm right there, but we need to work on that. 
A few weeks ago, I introduced you to a hymn writer called William Cowper. And William Cowper wrote this great hymn about prayer. Let me read to you a couple of verses of it. It goes like this. Prayer makes the darkened cloud withdraw. Prayer climbs the ladder Jacob saw, gives exercise to faith and love, brings every blessing from above. Restraining prayer, we cease to fight. Prayer makes the Christian's armor bright. And Satan trembles when he sees the weakest saint upon his knees. Satan trembles when he sees the weakest saint upon his knees. That that brings to bear that this is a, a spiritual battle. And Paul would say, I am a weak saint, but he was often on his knees. And his weapons, the gospel, backed by this prayer, were mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. Let's now look at um, chapter 11, and this is the the crux of the passage now, how Paul is engaging with unfriendly fire in verses 1 to 15. In war, friendly fire is when your own side fire on you accidentally. But here, these so-called super apostles were firing on Paul, not by accident, but on purpose. What was the nature of this unfriendly fire? Well, we see in verses 2 to 15, they were preaching a gospel that undermined Paul's gospel. So in in verse 2, Paul says to the Corinthians, I'm jealous for you with a godly jealousy. I promised you to one husband, that's Christ, but you've gone after these good-looking super apostles, and I'm jealous Now, now we might think of jealousy in a kind of negative way, but when you love someone, jealousy is totally appropriate. It's a sign of love. And and Paul's saying, look, I'm father to the bride, and I am so, so annoyed that you've been taken in by these super apostles, just like Eve was taken in by the serpent. You see, he's calling these people snakes. The super apostles encouraged the Corinthian church to gossip about Paul. I can imagine them, after a service, gossiping over coffee like this. He's so unimpressive, that puny little guy, Paul. He doesn't have the the skill of proper Greek rhetoricians. He doesn't have the poise and the, the charisma of other teachers that have come here to Corinth. He's always getting beaten up. He's always running into trouble. Calamity, Paul. I think we need to back back the winners, not this guy, Paul. He's just embarrassing. Yes, he set us up, but I think we need to move on because this fella, Paul, is a bit of an embarrassment. The Corinthians were taken in by these super apostles who seemed to have preached a gospel with no suffering, Look at verse 4. If someone comes to you and preaches a Jesus other than the Jesus we preached, or if you receive a different spirit from the spirit you received, or a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it easily enough. See, he's, he's repeating the word different, 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 three times. Uh, uh, it seems that they were preaching a gospel like health, wealth, and prosperity, Come to Jesus, and you can live a healthy 
and a wealthy and a prosperous life with no suffering because they were embarrassed about how Paul was suffering so much. And it was a gospel that they charged for. They earned money from it, verses 5 to 12. And so Paul has to defend the fact that he didn't charge the Corinthians. You'll be glad to know that Paul wasn't against preachers earning money, but he didn't charge the Corinthians. Now, there is a saying that you get what you pay for. If you, if you go to Primark and you, you buy a T-shirt, you know that it might not last very long. And maybe the Corinthians looked down on Paul because he didn't charge them. And they thought, hey, well, his gospel is less valuable. Paul never asked a fee of the Corinthians, uh, but other churches helped him to be able to finance himself to minister among the Corinthians. So Paul wants to say to the church, hey, don't judge love by the price you pay. Paul loved these Corinthians so much that he did sweaty leather work in order to finance his ability to be among them. Not, by, not like the super apostles who never sweated. And then in verses 13 to 15, Paul doesn't be, beat about the bush at all. He says that they're preaching a false gospel. They're masquerading as apostles of Christ. And that's hardly surprising because Satan himself, the arch deceiver, is a masquerader who acts like an angel of light. And so he's saying these people are doing the work of Satan. Wow, how do we apply this? Folks, there is plenty of unfriendly fire that looks like friendly fire around. There are so many false gospels, so many false preachers of the gospel. There is this gospel today of health, wealth, prosperity. If you follow Jesus, you can get rich. If you, if you, if you follow Jesus, you won't get sick. If you have faith, if you have faith to overcome that sickness, victory. This is what the Christian life is about. Victory. You can find your dream job and your dream spouse and everything else because Christ wants to pour those things on you. That's called manipulation. And I want to say to people who are new Christians, maybe uh, less familiar with the Christian faith, there are people here in Southampton standing on street corners sharing what seems to be the gospel, and they may be well-intentioned, they may be nice people. There's a group called the Jehovah's Witnesses. They, they have a stand out there saying, free Bible study, join it, but they are counterfeit Christians. There's the Mormons as well, and these groups, they, they, they will have the Bible, but they'll always have another book, the Watchtower magazine, the Book of Mormon. I mean, Mormons don't drink coffee. They, they, can't, be, they can't be true, can they? Um, sadly, there are a lot of people counterfeiting the gospel. How do you know what is a counterfeit? Well, there's always something that you must do. The gospel, the true gospel says done. Jesus has lived the life that you could never live. He's died to pay the price for your sins. But, but see, the gospel says done, but these false gospels say do. You, you believe in Jesus, but you must also do other certain things. You, you need to be, be a witness on the streets. You, you, you need to deny Christmas. You need to deny 
having blood transfusions. There's always something else that you must do. Don't be drawn in by a different gospel, folks. God has revealed himself through the person of Jesus. Jesus is enough. And Jesus is revealed in these scriptures alone. These scriptures are enough. I need to move on now. If you have any questions about that, please do ask me afterwards. I will be hanging around and I will go up to the, the membership course if you want to find me there as well. The third thing that we see in uh, the passage that we've been given today uh, is Paul embracing weakness. We didn't read all these verses, verses 16 to 33, but Paul talks about how he was shipwrecked, how he was beaten with 39 lashes five times. And you know, in the ancient world, it was a crazy thing to do to boast about your weakness. Weakness was a sign that the gods had abandoned you. The worst thing that a person could do was shame themselves by showing weakness. In the Roman world, if you know history, it was a noble thing to commit suicide. If, if you were being shamed or if there was the prospect of you being shamed or being taken prisoner, the Roman Senate would provide free hemlock, a poison, so that you could quietly redeem yourself by committing suicide. It was the Christians who changed this, saying that taking any life, including your own, is a terrible thing because all human beings are made in the image of God and have dignity. But even today in politics, you know, looking weak isn't isn't a very good thing. That's why there are propaganda pictures of Putin riding bare-chested, uh, on bareback horses. U.S. presidents must, mustn't look weak. Um, Ash lent me this book about JFK. JFK was beset by all t kinds of terrible illnesses. He took a, a doctor with him everywhere who administered huge amounts of drugs just to keep him standing. But Paul is not ashamed to talk of his weakness. In fact, he boasts in it all through chapter 11 and chapter 12. He talks about he was flogged and beaten and shipwrecked and in constant danger and laboring and toiling without sleep, often hungry, often cold, often naked. This was kind of crazy to talk like this in the ancient world. And on top of this, he says, I face the internal pressure of my concern and my love for, for all the churches which put years on him. And then he says, I also face temptation. We saw that in the verses that, that we read, uh, uh, verses 29 and 30. Who is weak and I do not feel weak? Who is led into sin and I do not inwardly burn? Paul wasn't claiming to be some kind of super apostle who was never tempted or who never sinned. Why did Paul boast in his weakness like this? Well, as we'll see next week, it's because when we're weak, we can then exalt the strength of Jesus, and his strength becomes more apparent, but I'll leave that to, to Phil to talk more about next week. But folks, this morning, don't be ashamed if you're not a superman and you can't do everything. Embrace your humanity. Embrace your limits. Embrace your weakness. And folks, don't think that we need to employ some kind of superman here 
to be the team leader above our church. We need someone who's saturated with grace, not someone who's a superman. And folks, Christians have always demonstrated compassion to the weak. That's why I've got the picture of Nietzsche up there. Nietzsche, Nietzsche was really bothered by this. Nietzsche hated Christianity because it, it always protected the weak. Nietzsche said this, pity thwarts the law of evolution, which is the law of selection. Christianity has taken the part of the weak and the low and the botched. He's saying that Christians have always put themselves on the side of the inferior. And, and by doing this, they're endangering the progression of the species, which is all about the survival of the fittest. By protecting the weak, they're acting against evolution. Now, this is the revolution that Christianity brought to the ancient world, was that Christians have always cared for the poor and the needy. They've always had a concern for the weak. Christians set up hospitals. Christians cared for the poor who had the plague. And, and this practice has come because of a crucified Messiah who made himself weak in order to save the weak and make them strong. The stone that the builders rejected, that's become the chief cornerstone. And this was preached by apostles like Paul who suffered, not by super apostles. Christian ministry, Christian practice has always involved the way of the cross. It's not that we seek out suffering. It's not that Christians are masochists. But Jesus does say, if you want to live a godly life, you will suffer persecution and blessed are the persecuted. And in Easter week, we're going to hear the testimonies of around a dozen of our brothers from Iran. Stories that I've read this week that have seriously made me weep. Stories of shame and weakness, but of Christ's bolstering and of faith in Christ's bolstering. And so we're going to have several baptisms in Easter week, stories of God's incredible strength through weakness and shame. Well, in conclusion, folks, Paul has really opened himself up in these chapters. We see that his whole ministry has been that of a soldier in a conflict zone. Christianity, Christian ministry, is spiritual warfare. We don't wage weapons like the world does. It's never right for a Christian to pick up a sword or a, or a gun or something like that in his name. But we do have an enemy. And this enemy, he hates people getting baptized, folks. He hates the gospel. He hates Jesus. And he hates this world, word called grace. He despises it. And if he can't convert you, he will distract you. And he's built fortresses around people so that they can't receive the gospel. And so I'd like to lead you now into a, into a time of prayer, short time, because we'll have um, Biddy come and lead some prayers in a minute. But I'd like to land this text, because it is about experiencing spiritual battle. It is about being a soldier in the war zone. So if you would bow your heads, I'm going to lead us in prayer. I'd like to lead you in reflection so that you can use your own words to pray. So 
Where do you need to employ spiritual weapons this week? What are the battles that you are facing at home and at work? Perhaps you don't have the words, just sigh, just sigh. Oh, give those things to the Lord. Cast your cares on the Lord, he cares for you. Who do you know among your work colleagues, your family, your friends, who seems to be an impenetrable fortress at the moment towards the gospel? Will you name them now before the Lord? Who do you know who seems to be really in the heat of battle? Will you pray for them now? Is there any friendly fire bothering you? Bring that before him now. Think about the week to come. Where do you need to embrace your limits this week? Where do you need to preserve margin so that you have capacity to fight? Thank you, Jesus, for the weapons you give us of humility and gentleness and the gospel and prayer. May they pull down strongholds. We ask in your powerful name. Amen.